You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on the Feast of Pentecost, Sunday, May 20th, 2018. A reading from the Gospel of John the 20th chapter, beginning at the 19th verse. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is the day of Pentecost, the day when we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples empowering them for mission. The Holy Spirit can be the hardest person of the Trinity for us to relate to, because the Holy Spirit is the hardest one for us to picture. You can probably picture a father, perhaps your own father. You can probably also picture Jesus from all of the artwork that we have depicting him. But how do you picture the Holy Spirit? Sometimes we picture the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, as when he descended upon Jesus at the time of his baptism. Other times we picture the Holy Spirit with fire, as with the tongues of fire which alighted upon the heads of the disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. But those aren't really personal images. And yet, the Holy Spirit is not an it, or a power, or a force, but a person, the third person of the Trinity, and, in fact, He is the person of the Trinity with whom we interact the most, because he lives inside of us, in our hearts. One time, as Jesus was teaching about the Holy Spirit, he said, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Picture a balloon for a moment. What is inside of a balloon? Air. But how do you know it's full of air? You can't see the air, but you can see the effects of the air as it pushes on the sides of the balloon. Similarly with the Spirit, we can't see the Spirit, but we can see the effects of the Spirit. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and particularly the effects of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I think we can see the Holy Spirit uh, at work in three different levels of our lives. And so the first of those levels is that the Holy Spirit is in your life. The Holy Spirit is in your life, your personal life. And we can see this in a number of different ways across our lives, in particular in our relationship with God. So the first way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives is before we even become Christians, because the Holy Spirit leads us to salvation. Sometimes we talk about this as 
prevenient grace, which just means grace that goes before us. Grace that goes before us. It's grace that draws us to the Father. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. But how does the Father draw us to himself? How does the Father draw us to himself? It's by the Holy Spirit. There's a man named John Newton who lived many years ago, and he was an Anglican priest. But before he was an Anglican priest, before he was even really a committed Christian, he was a sailor. And not just any kind of sailor, he was a slave trader. He worked on slave ships, and then eventually he became the captain of slave ships. And in his younger years, he espoused lots of free-thinking principles. He was arrogant, he was insubordinate, and he lived with moral abandon. He said in some of his writings, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. So not the kind of guy that we really think about in a, in a warm and fuzzy way. He was pretty clearly a sinner. And not just a sinner, but a sinner who wanted to seduce others to follow in his ways of sin. Kind of like Satan does. But John Newton came under the influence of, of two very influential preachers. One was John Wesley, and the other was uh, a man named Whitfield, George Whitfield. These were the the founders of the Methodist movement, if you know anything about church history. And so through his relationship with them, through his interactions and studies with them, he became increasingly disgusted with the slave trade and his own role in it. And so he quit, and he was ordained into the Anglican ministry, and in 1764, he took a parish in a place called Olney in Buckinghamshire. What caused that change of life? What caused that stark contrast from being a slave trader who identified himself as a sinner and one who sought to seduce people into the way of sin? And then on the other side, someone who actually worked against the slave trade and tried to bring about its abolition. Someone who gave his life to Anglican ministry and parish ministry in a a church in England and sought to bring others to know the power and love of Jesus in their lives. It was the Holy Spirit working in his life. The Holy Spirit working in his life. When we look in John chapter 16, we see Jesus say this about the Holy Spirit. This is chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. He's talking about his eventual ascension. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And here when he says helper, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Before we even know God, before we have any inkling of desiring to follow him, the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, working in our lives, to convict us of sin, to bring us to a realization of the sin in our lives, to open our eyes. John Newton said, I once was blind, but now I see. 
That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opens our blinded eyes so that we can see the sin in our lives and turn to God and be saved. But then the Holy Spirit is given to us in baptism. The Holy Spirit actually comes to live in us, as I was saying before. Our bodies become temples of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, at the end of, of the day of Pentecost, Peter has been preaching this sermon and telling people about who Jesus is, what he came to do, what his resurrection means, and what the sin in people's lives means as well. And after all that, Acts says that the people were cut to the core. And they turn to Peter and they say, well, what do we do? How do we respond to this message? They were convicted of sin. The Holy Spirit had done that in their lives. And here was, Jesus, or here was Peter's response to them. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So through our repentance, through our turning away from sin and our baptism, God puts the Holy Spirit into us. The Holy Spirit comes and makes his home inside of us, in our hearts. And from that moment forward, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. God is never further away from us than we ourselves because God is right there with us, walking with us every step of the way. And so the Holy Spirit lives in us. And through baptism, one of the things that God gives us is adoption as sons and daughters. He welcomes us into his own family. He makes us as his own children. And in Galatians, it says that God sends the Spirit into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. God sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. It's through the Spirit's work in our lives that we can turn to God and not just recognize him as Lord, not just recognize him as Savior, not just recognize him as ruler of the universe, but as dad, as father, as Abba. And then as we continue in the faith, as we continue walking with God, the Holy Spirit plays yet another role. Jesus says in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John that the Holy Spirit teaches us. Verses 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit, as we continue to walk in the faith, continues to teach us continues to open our hearts more to the message of Jesus and continues to point us back to the scriptures, showing us the things that Jesus said, showing us the things that he did, showing us the things that he taught. And the more we get familiar with the scriptures, the more the Holy Spirit will use the scriptures in your life because he'll bring them to mind at very important times. When you need direction, when you need guidance, the Holy Spirit will bring verses of Scripture to your mind. Now, he can do that even if you don't know the Scriptures very well. 
We have lots of stories of people playing Bible roulette. Do you know what that is? It's where you go like this. And you look and see what it, what it says. There are lots of stories of the Holy Spirit working even in that action. But I would argue that that's maybe not the, the best approach. Uh, it's a little bit random. God can work through it. God works through all kinds of things. But the best approach is to dig into the scriptures, to get to know the scriptures, to hide the scriptures in your heart, as it says in the Psalms. And when the scriptures are hidden in your, in your heart, when you have the stories of the Bible in your head and in your heart, the Holy Spirit can bring them up and use them in your life. The Holy Spirit can remind you of Jesus' teaching and point you in the way that you should go. And then finally, in our own lives, the Holy Spirit works in us to make us holy. The Holy Spirit works in us to make us holy. We can't be holy on our own. On our own, we're wretched. On our own, we're sinful. On our own, we're dirty. But God comes into our life. He makes a change. This is called justification. He declares us righteous. But even though we've been declared righteous, there's still a lot of work he's got to do in our lives. There's still a lot of work, a lot of ways we got to go before we can become holy, before we can fully grow into the stature of his son, Jesus Christ. And this work is called the work of sanctification. And Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. He says this, Romans 15, verse 16. Paul was called to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so, even after that initial conviction of sin in our lives, the the conviction of sin that brings us to the place of salvation, that brings us to the place of justification, the Holy Spirit will continue to work in our lives, will continue to convict us of sin, will continue to teach us and help us be drawn more and more into the life of the Father be drawn more and more into God's own heart, making us more and more holy. So that eventually, when we die, when we get to go and be with God up in heaven, we will be perfectly holy. And there won't be any sin left in our lives anymore. No more suffering. No more pain. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy because of the sin in our lives. That won't be the the case anymore when God has finally perfected us and made us perfectly holy. But even right now, God has us on a path towards holiness. And it's the Holy Spirit who does that in our lives. So the Holy Spirit works in your life. But the Holy Spirit also works in our life. And this is the second way, the second uh, piece of, of our life together that the Holy Spirit has a role. He works in our hearts, in ourselves, He works in our life together as the church. And this is what we heard about in the passage from 1 Corinthians. In chapter 12, Paul is talking about uh, the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit binds us all together, makes us one body in Christ. One body in Christ. And it says in verse 8, not verse 8, says in verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And he goes on to talk about all of the different gifts that God gives us through the Holy Spirit that we can use for the common good. It's these gifts that make us all different, different parts of the same body, the body of Christ. And all of those parts have to work together to accomplish the mission of God. God could just do it all on his own, but he invites us into his mission. He invites us to participate in the church, participate in sharing the gifts that we have with others. And so the Spirit gives us things like teaching, helping, healing, faith, giving, prophecy, tongues, leadership, administration, hospitality, and many other gifts. All kinds of things that God crafts you to be good at. That God makes you unique in the church so that you have a particular role to play. And the church works best when each one of us is playing that role. When each one of us is using our gifts for the common good. Because the Holy Spirit isn't just in your life for you. The Holy Spirit is in your life for us. For all of us together. And it's in sharing those gifts with the body that the Holy Spirit works in the church. So the Holy Spirit isn't just for you. The Holy Spirit is for us. And the gifts that he gives you are not just for you. They're for us. How many of you have read uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, and particularly The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? This is one of my, my favorite stories of all time. In fact, when I was in college, I, I wrote my final senior thesis just on that book. I love it. Um, and in this book, there's a, a point at which uh, this character, Father Christmas, kind of like Santa Claus, but he has a different role to play in the Chronicles of Narnia. He shows up and, uh, and he gives these children gifts. There are, there are four children in this story. Edmund was not with them at this time, but then there are, there are three others. They're all siblings. And Father Christmas comes and he gives gifts to each one of them. And there's one particular child named Lucy, and he gives Lucy a dagger to defend herself, but also this bottle of something he calls cordial. And he says it's for the purpose of healing. And then when you fast forward later in the story, there's a, a battle that happens. And Edmund, who hadn't been with the other children when they got these gifts, Edmund was valiant in this battle. And he was so valiant that he got wounded, quite badly wounded. And this comes to Lucy's attention, and she takes out her bottle of cordial, and she goes to Edmund, and she puts a little bit in his mouth. And this is what C.S. Lewis says as he tells the story. Lucy takes out her cordial, she pours some in her brother's mouth, and she waits, wondering if the cordial will have any result. And I think that's important because sometimes that's how we are with the gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes we're a little bit timid with the gifts of the Spirit because we aren't really sure if they're going to have any results. We're not really confident in our lives that God's going to do something when we pray in a certain way. And the way we become confident is through using those gifts. Lucy wasn't confident in her in her gift, in her cordial, because she hadn't used it before. And so she waited there, staring at her brother Edmund, wondering if it was going to work or not. But God calls us to use the gifts, and the more we use them, the more we can see them working, and the more confident we become in our 
trust in God and our trust that he will come through and, and do the things that he says he's going to do. And so as the story continues, Aslan, who's this wonderful lion and is sort of the God figure in the story, Aslan speaks to Lucy and says, daughter of Eve, in a grave voice, others also are at the point of death. He reminds her that this gift wasn't just for her, it wasn't just for her brother, but it was for the whole army. It was for everybody. And so it says that for the next half hour, Lucy and Aslan went around healing those who were sick and Aslan restoring those who had been turned into stone, kind of bringing them back to life. The gifts that we have are not just for us. They're not just for our families. They're for the whole body of Christ. And so when God gives us gifts by his Holy Spirit, we need to offer them up to the body so that they can be used in the mission of God to accomplish God's purposes, both in this congregation, in our diocese, in the Anglican Church of North America, and in the whole Church of God throughout the world, regardless of denomination. The gifts are to be used for the body of Christ. So God sends his Holy Spirit into our lives for us. He sends the Holy Spirit into our life together as the body of Christ. There are two places in the scripture uh, where it talks about the temple of the Holy Spirit. In one case, it says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. In the other place, it says that the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit also lives in us. And finally, the Holy Spirit is for the life of the world. The Holy Spirit isn't just for me. It's not just for this congregation. It's for the life of the world. In our gospel today, Jesus meets the disciples in that upper room. This is before his ascension. He meets the disciples in that upper room. And he greets them saying, peace be with you. And then he says again, peace be with you. And then he says this to the disciples. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit in this context for the work of mission. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers what we do in the mission of God. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers every act of mission, every act of evangelism, every time that we reach out with the love of Christ to someone who doesn't know him. It's the Holy Spirit at work. And so the Holy Spirit is for me, the Holy Spirit is for us, but the Holy Spirit is also for the life of the world, for all those who don't yet know Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is promising that he's going to send the Holy Spirit after his ascension. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. In this city, in the wider region, and finally to the ends of the earth. 
the Holy Spirit is for the life of the world. And there's a cycle at work here. Just as the Holy Spirit convicts us and brings each one of us to salvation, the Holy Spirit also empowers us to fulfill Jesus' great commission, convicting the hearts of those he sends us to reach. When we look at mission and evangelism, there's really nothing you can do on your own strength. There's nothing you can do on your own strength. When you go and share Christ with something, there's nothing you can do in your own words. You can't come up with the right words to make someone believe in Jesus. You can't come up with the words to change someone's heart. I don't care how gifted you are as a speaker, because it's not our work to change hearts. It's not our work to convict people of sin. It's the Holy Spirit working in us and working in them that allows that to happen. And so in your own strength, you can't bring anyone to repentance. But in God's strength, through the Holy Spirit, God can use you to bring about change in people's lives. Change that looks like John Newton. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. That's not your doing. That's God's doing. But he uses you to accomplish his work. But one final thing. Have you ever uh, seen one of those infomercials or maybe you've been uh, at the, at the uh, Walmart or someplace like that and you go by the exercise aisle and you see uh, the picture of someone on the box with you know, the chiseled abs and the, the good, good arm muscles. You know, they, they, just, they look good. They look healthy. And you say, if, if I had that piece of equipment, I could look like that. And so you buy it. You put it in your shopping cart. You check out, and you go home, and you, you put the box in your house. Maybe even you, you open the box to see what's inside, right? And then what happens next? It sits there. And does your body change as that piece of exercise equipment sits there? Absolutely not. You've got to use the thing for it to make a difference in your life. You've got to use the thing. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. When we become Christians, when we're baptized, God puts the Holy Spirit into our hearts. He makes us temples of the Holy Spirit. God lives inside of us. He lives inside of me. He lives inside of you. But he has so much more for you. He doesn't just want to live inside of you. He doesn't want to just live in in your big toe or in your pinky finger. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit immersed in the Holy Spirit. He wants you to live a Spirit-filled life. He doesn't just want the Holy Spirit to sit in a corner in your house. He wants you to use the Holy Spirit, to use the gifts that he's given you in ministry, not to lie dormant, but to be on fire for him. In Acts 2, chapter 4, what we read today on the day of Pentecost, it says that they were all there together, they were praying, and the Holy Spirit came down on them in tongues of fire, and there was a sound of mighty rushing wind. And then it says in in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then this term is used elsewhere in Acts. And interestingly, it's, it's used in the case of people who were there on the day of Pentecost. It's used in other ways as well, but Peter is a good case. 
Later on in the book of Acts, it says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. We already know he was filled with the Holy Spirit in that upper room, but later he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, after his baptism, is filled with the Holy Spirit. But then later on, it talks about Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something that doesn't just happen once in our lives. It happens over and over again, perhaps even every day. In Ephesians, Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a continual thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-time event. It happens over and over and over again. And each day as we wake up, we can ask God to come into us, to fill us, to stir up the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we might be effective ministers doing the work that he's called us to do that day. But there's something else we can do that does just the opposite. We can quench the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. He says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And the word quench there is the same word that you would use if you were extinguishing a candle with a candle snuffer. To quench fire, to extinguish fire. Do not extinguish the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. How do we quench the Holy Spirit? There's lots of ways that this can happen. One of them might be when we try to accomplish things in our own strength. I'm often guilty of that. Not turning to God, not asking God for his direction, not asking God for his power, but saying, yeah, I'm a competent guy, I can do that, and just taking it on myself. That quenches the Holy Spirit because God has so much more than my own natural talents and abilities. God wants to use me through his Holy Spirit for great things. We can quench the Holy Spirit when we suppress the gifts that he's given us to use. God may have told you very clearly that you have a gift of healing or teaching or leadership or administration. But if you don't use those gifts, if you don't put them into practice, you can quench the Holy Spirit because you're not willing to do the things that he's called you to do. We can quench the Holy Spirit when we don't consult the Spirit for guidance and direction. Or perhaps we consult the Spirit for guidance and direction, but then we don't pay attention to that guidance and direction. Those are things that can quench the Holy Spirit. And finally, when we don't invite the Spirit to be a part of our lives, we can quench the Holy Spirit. These are just a few examples. There's probably many more. But that's what it means. It means to stuff the Holy Spirit down, to not pay attention to the Holy Spirit, to not allow the Spirit to work through you. When we do that, we quench the Holy Spirit. We need to do just the opposite, to stir up the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to ask God to use us, to ask God to fill us each and every day so that we might accomplish the things that he's called us to do. And so I'm going to close with an ancient prayer that comes from the ninth century called Come Holy Spirit. Let us pray together. Come, Holy Ghost, our souls inspire, enlighten with celestial fire. Thou, the anointing spirit art, who dost thy sevenfold gifts impart. Thy blessed unction from above is comfort, life, and fire of love. Enable with perpetual light the dullness of our blinded sight. Teach us to know the Father, Son, and thee of both, to be but one. 
that through the ages all along, this may be our endless song. Praise to thy eternal merit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.